0: You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is org. Now for this week's message.
1: Well, I am glad that you guys are watching today because our, our topic could be considered kind of the poster child for this series. Uh, the series is called Faith in Action as we work our way through the, the book of James. And today's passage is, is all about just that. And, and I called this message Faith as a Verb because I, I really want to focus on the, the action side of faith, and that's what this passage is about. And you know we have our little work zone down in front of me here, if you can see it, uh, just to remind us that it, it's time to get to work in our faith. And I'm going to warn you right now, this is one of those passages that tends to just kind of hit people between the eyes, and and that's okay. Okay, Sometimes we, we need to be hit right between the eyes. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and read through our whole passage, not break it up, and then we'll go back and break things down a little bit. But before we do that, let, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we, we come before you, and, and I pray that you will just kind of soften our hearts to, to hear what you would have us to hear, and, and uh, not get defensive, but just to um, try to listen and be ready to, to, to work and, and uh, just put our faith into action. So be with us now, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So James two fourteen through 26, says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, that, that'll hit you, won't it? And, and maybe even scare us a little bit. Um, James is not messing around here. That's not his style. Uh, this whole book is a challenge to Christians on what it looks like to live out being a follower of Jesus. But this isn't you know, just about James' scariness. Okay? This this is about James saying, hey hey, guys, if, if your faith is real, there should be some evidence of that. Now we have to be careful with this passage. I, I often talk uh, about the pendulum swing, and, and, uh, and we tend to swing it too far one way or the other in a lot of areas uh, of life. Uh, a lot of areas of Christianity, uh, except politics, right? It tends to be pretty level-headed everybody when they talk about politics or pretty understanding of other people's viewpoints Yeah, right uh, Anyway in our passage today, we we have the grace and works pendulum And, and you can swing clear over to the grace side or, or swing clear over to the works side and, and both of them can be unhealthy um, There's a, a healthy middle ground between grace and works in fact a question that often comes up when people read this passage Does this passage kind of contradict Paul's teachings on grace? Okay, is James saying, well, you know, Paul said that, but you're you're really actually saved by works, the the things you do for God. Paul very clearly says that we're we're saved by grace. And and at first glance, you know, James kind of seems like he's saying the opposite. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, very famous passage for it is, By grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, that's pretty clear that, that we're saved uh, by grace through faith, isn't it? Okay, um, we don't do anything to earn our salvation. But then James comes along here in verse 14 again, says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Okay, it's a little confusing, isn't it? Uh, and so are we saved by works or not? Which is it? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Well, let me explain. First of all, no, the Bible is not contradicting itself. What, what James is saying is that if you really have a true and genuine faith, your actions are going to go along with that faith. Okay, it becomes almost as natural as breathing to, to live out your faith. On the other hand, if, you, if your faith is nothing more than saying you believe in God, but it doesn't change your life in any way, then really what kind of faith do you have? Martin Luther once said this, a really neat quote People are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Okay, I think that's good. Okay, justified is basically being made righteous before God or counted as righteous. Uh, So think about that. Let me say that one more time. People are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Okay, do you see what he's saying? If your faith is real, uh, acts and actions just they go along with it. they overflow uh, out of that faith. You, you just can't help it. It becomes a, a mindset of how you live your life, not not for yourself but for others. So James is not contradicting Paul. He's just explaining that, that if there is no outward evidence of your faith, then he's questioning how faith you real, how real your faith was in the first place. So the first thing I want to point out from our, our passage is this, We're, our faith in action, week number four, no actions equals no real faith, real faith equals real actions. Okay, yes, James was hitting those Christians hard, and, and he didn't mess around. It's like a coach that, you know, chews on his players a little bit about putting in hard work, and if, if you put in hard work, you're going to see the results. You don't just say you're a football player. You, you put in the work to become a good football player. You, you don't just say you're a, a violinist. You practice a lot to become a good violinist. You don't just say you're a Christian. You, you live it out. You work out your faith. Okay? You're saved to do good things. And, and it isn't a matter of just trying to do enough good things to, to squeak by. Okay, the, the stuff we do for God should just, like I said, just be a natural result of our growing faith. And it should be a way of living. It should be kind of a, how can I help others? How can I live for Christ? And I, I know I'm going to say this over and over today because I want to just to really get it to sink into our brains. And unfortunately, I think in the, the modern American church, we have made it oftentimes about ourselves. And we come into a church with kind of this consumer mindset and, you know, what does this church have to offer me? Uh, how many programs does this church have? How can, how can this church serve me best and, and suit my needs? But I think there's just something deeply wrong with that mindset. And, and I think many people, many churches are beginning to realize it, that it's not about that. Uh, Jesus said this in Mark ten forty five: For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, do you see the difference? Okay, Jesus isn't saying, hell yeah, take care of me. Um, he's saying, no, I, I'm here to serve others. And so that's a, it's a different mindset. So no actions equals no real faith. Real faith equals real action. Okay. Let's look at another point from our passage. The second thing is this talk is cheap. Um, we all know people who are really good at talking a big game and, but then they don't really follow through, uh, on what they said they would do. And and it's frustrating and I think sometimes Christians can do that same thing. We kind of talk a big game in our faith. And look at verse 16 again. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Okay, you see what I'm saying there? Talk is cheap. And I'm certainly not perfect, and I'm a work in progress. But I want to give an example. I worked with a minister once who was always saying to people, "You know, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. But when it came down to actually helping people, it seemed like he always found a way not to help. Okay, it was was just something he said, but but he didn't back it up with his actions. And I guess he helped me uh, in a way. Uh, He helped me learn what I didn't want to to be like as a minister. And and like I said, I'm not perfect. But we need to not just say it. We we need to live it. Just do it. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. One time there was a, a young boy who went to the store for his mom to buy a dozen eggs, and he had just enough money for the eggs. And as as, as he was walking out of the store, he tripped and dropped the eggs, and all the eggs broke, and the sidewalk was, was a mess, there was eggs everywhere. And the boy tried not to cry, but he was pretty sad, and, and he knew he'd be in trouble when he got home because he had no eggs. And uh, a few people gathered around to see if he was okay, and and to tell him how sorry they were, and... Uh, but one man handed the boy a dollar, and then he turned to the group and said, you know, I care a dollar's worth for this boy. How much do the rest of you care? You see, he was, he was willing to do a little more than, than, than just feel sorry for the boy. He, he knew that, that, that talk is cheap. He knew that actions often say so much more to the world around us. Let me say this in a little different way. Our, our third point from our passage is this. Neither faith nor works should stand alone. Neither faith nor work should stand alone. Um, back to, to verse 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, so somebody might claim, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I'm good. That's all I need to do. That's what the Bible says, right? All you need to do is believe. And I would respond by saying, you know what? If if that's your attitude, it, it it cheapens God's grace. It's like doing the bare minimum that you that you need to do to to get by. I remember when my kids were growing up, and, and I would ask them if they had cleaned the rooms, and and uh, and sometimes they'd say yes, and and I, I you know I'd go to the rooms, and you know they were okay, but not great. Okay, they, they did the bare minimum to try to to get by so i realized i needed to have a follow-up question of did you clean your room to to your standards or mine and that usually meant they had to go back to the room as they kind of rolled their eyes at their dad and and to to finish doing the job guys when we're following god we we should want to follow him to to the very highest of standards it's not it's not a game james says faith by itself with no works is a dead faith and in fact he said even the demons believe that and shudder so even the demons believe in god and and said you know he says satan believes this but he's scared to death of him and basically i think he's saying don't you want to live out your faith to a higher standard than satan's faith you know that satan does believe in god Um, then on the other side of the equation you have works but, but your works can't stand alone either, okay? What if someone is, you know, just basically a pretty good person and, and they do a lot of nice things for people and they don't really believe in God, um, but, you know, maybe they say, you know, I just I just do these things because I, I, I want to be nice to people. And if there is a God, maybe hopefully he, he'll see that I'm a, I'm a good person. And I, I guess I would say, l- let me ask you this, who... You know, how do we decide what's good enough here on this earth? You know, who gets to decide that? Is there a scale that measures if we do kind of more good things than bad things? And, And if we do enough good things, then we get to go to heaven? No. You know, there's not a scale, and I'm glad because my scale would probably go the wrong way. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags." We all shrivel up like a leaf, and, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. I think basically it's the saying that, you know, the good stuff that we do, it's like a bunch of dirty rags compared to what God has done for us. And, and those dirty rags really don't amount to that much. We're, we're all unclean before God. And so those, those dirty rags don't save us, but, but God can use those dirty rags. In some pretty amazing ways, God can use these things to take the things that we offer Him and, and He can multiply those meager offerings into just beautiful things. But those dirty rags, which are our works, they go along with our faith. Okay? They go hand in hand. Faith and works are not meant to stand alone either way. One time a a man painted the word faith on one oar of his boat and works on the other. And he was asked his reason for this. And and in answer, he he slipped the oar with faith into the water and he started rowing. And and the the boat, of course, made a a very tight circle. Um, And so returning to the dock, the boatman then said, now let's try works uh, without faith and and see what happens. And so he had the other oar on there and he started rowing that and begin doing the works or it it made a circle the other way and so when the boatman returned to the dock he he interpreted his experiment in these these strong and convincing words he said you see to make a trip across the lake one needs both oars working simultaneously in order to keep the boat going straight and moving towards its destination on the other hand if one does not have the use of both oars he, he makes no progress either across the lake Uh, nor as a Christian. I think it's a pretty good analogy. Neither faith nor works should stand alone. And then in our our chapter, James gives a couple of examples of faith in action. Okay, two very different kinds of examples. So examples of faith in action. First of all, Abraham. Okay, you, you remember the story. Abraham showed his faith in God Many times in in his life, God asked him to leave his homeland at one point and go to a land that he would show him, and he did. He he trusted God, he he packed up everything, and he left. Um, Later, God told him that he would have a son, even though he and his wife Sarah had had no children and and they were well beyond normal childbearing age, and Abraham believed God, and and, and then when they finally did have their son Isaac, God asked him to, to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham was willing to obey God and do this. Um, he didn't have to follow through with it, but he showed that he would. And, and he didn't understand why God would ask him to do this, but he believed that God had it all figured out. Um, he, he thought, well, maybe God will, will bring him back from the dead. You see, Abraham's actions went along with his faith and his trust in God. They, they went hand in hand. Verse 22 again says, You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. I think that's a a great description uh, of what we're talking about today. His faith and his actions work together. His actions help complete his faith. And then there's Rahab. Good old Rahab. Completely different kind of example. Uh, Verse 25 says this. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Okay, you remember the story uh, when the Israelites were, were scattering out Jericho before they would take it over. Rahab, who was a prostitute, realized that the God of the Israelites was the God who she wanted to align herself with. And she saw the, the writing on the wall and, and, and she helped out the Israelite spies. But I think the cool thing about Rahab is that this is an example of someone who who didn't have her life altogether yet, but God still used her. And and she believed in the God of the Israelites and and risked her life because of that belief. And and Rahab and her family, they were saved when the, the Israelites took over Jericho. And here's a cool side note. You know, Rahab is mentioned in Matthew 1 in the lineage of Jesus, Okay, it says Rahab married a guy named Salmon, and Salmon and Rahab are in the earthly family tree of Jesus. How cool is that? So don't you ever think that you're disqualified from being used by God because of your past? Okay, Do you hear me on that? Uh, God can use your past, and he, and he will use your past if you let him. I don't think it's an accident that Rahab is used as an example here. I heard a speaker at a conference one time who said, you know, a lot of times in churches, we want people to, to kind of come into church in this order. We, we want them to, to behave and, and, and then believe, and then they can belong. Um, we want to want them to get all cleaned up and, and then become Christians, and, and then they can, you know, belong to our church. And he said in many ways, that's the exact opposite of what it should be. He said, a church is a place where people should feel like they belong first, and that would help them to believe, and, and then they can behave. Okay, he said, Let, let's get people in the church, love on them, accept them, watch them blossom into Christians, and they will eventually see the need to change the other stuff in their life. His name is Frank Antonucci, and he leads a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and, and uh, they have all kinds of different people in their church drug addicts and atheists and prostitutes and you name it they had it and these people are coming to Christ but it's it's a little messy along the way and reaching out to people for Christ is going to be messy you know I I say this a lot but we we like neat and tidy but it's not always going to be that way in fact most of the time it probably isn't going to be that way okay so so why do we do it why is this so important? Why is James making such a big deal about this and, and living out our faith? Guys, it, it's all because of Jesus. Okay? It is giving hands and feet to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And, and we don't do these things for God in order to, to make us feel good about ourselves or, or, or to, to puff us up or, or you know, make our heads big or check our good deeds off the list. We do these things because Jesus died for us. And when we accept the death and resurrection of Jesus and and accept him into our lives, it's just a natural response and a blessing to be able to serve him. We don't look at it as a duty or a drudgery. It's just a true blessing. It's all because of Jesus. Okay. So with this passage as, as our backdrop and all the things we've been talking about today, I have something specific to challenge you with this week. Okay, I'm excited about this. Hopefully you're still paying attention. If if you've checked out, I'd say check back in for a little bit. And and if you guys get on board with this, I believe some really neat things are going to happen this week. I think this could be huge for your life. I think it could be huge for the church. So are you ready? Okay, this is going to be really cool. I'm pumped. I'm calling it the the Faith in Action Challenge. So here we go. I want to challenge everyone to do at least one thing this week to try and bless somebody else in the name of Jesus okay I want to challenge you to do at least one thing to put your faith into action this week of course you can do more than one thing but but I want to challenge you to be intentional about at least one way of putting your faith in action and, and it is it's up to you but I'd rather for this challenge that not be somebody from our church um, Yes, we need to take care of each other, and we try to do that, but we also need to, to get out there and do some things for, for those around us. So I'm challenging you to do one thing to bless somebody else. The Faith in Action Challenge, it could be anything. You know, use your creative brains for this. Uh, things like you know, make cookies for a public service worker, a, a trash man or policeman or fireman. Wash someone else's windshield at the gas station. Ask your neighbor if there's anything you can do for them. Or or just do something for your neighbor that they, they you see needs done. Whatever. Pick up some sticks in their yard, but in, invite your neighbor over for supper. You know, hand out some dollars at the car wash. You know, kids make something for your, your teacher, or maybe even the janitor, or the cooks, or office workers. Uh, kids return kindness for meanness at school. Turn it around on somebody. You know, call somebody on the phone. Check in on them. See how they're doing that you haven't talked to in a long time. You know, go visit someone. Write an actual letter to someone. Okay, the kind you put in the mail. Remember those? Pay for someone's meal at a restaurant. Clean the bathroom at your office. You know, buy someone coffee. Just be creative and come up with some ideas. The the possibilities are endless. We did something like this several years ago, um, and here were a few few of the things that people did and some of the stories that came out of it. One person said, uh, I got up early this morning to give the paper lady some cookies that we made. I told her about our challenge and how much we appreciated her and her efforts through all the weather. She was so taken aback that we would do something like this for her. She said that it is people like us that make her want to get up in the morning to deliver papers even after 14 years one person helped a stranded motor motorist motorcyclist Um, one person made cookies for people at city hall one person put up curtains for a lady who couldn't do it herself one couple went to visit some people they hadn't seen in a long time one person took homemade bread to some neighbors Uh, one person took some gift bought some gift cards and gave them to people that just looked like they needed it so be creative Uh, Like I said, there's a million things you could do, but but I'm challenging you to do something this week to put your faith into action And and I think that when you start doing things like this even little things it just starts to become a a way of life And you begin to do them out of an overflow of your love for Christ. It it becomes just natural to who you are And as you do thing these things i'd love to hear about them through email or give me a call or text and And let me know how it goes I'll, i'll give some updates um I won't share names. I'll just share some things that God is doing through you guys. Now, I, I do want you to keep something in mind, and this is important. It might not go as well as you hope it will, okay? In, in fact, there, there usually isn't going to be an amazing story that goes along with whatever you do. Um, you know, some people don't really want to be helped, or the person might not even appreciate what you do for them, or, or you're just really not recognized for, for what you do. Um, but who cares, right? It's not why you're doing it. You're doing it for God, and you're doing it to try and bless people in the name of Jesus, so I really don't think you'll regret you know, what you do, no matter what the outcome is. And sometimes there are really cool stories. Sometimes it does make a difference in a person's life, maybe even more than you know. That you don't see it at the time. And I talked about this at our, our 40th anniversary weekend this summer, but uh, I think that that working hard for God is something that is in DNA. Okay, this is who we are. We built our own building. Uh, we've helped many, many people over the years. And we just want to continue that and, and even see that grow. And I want us to take that hardworking DNA and use it to bless the socks off the people in our community. So what do you think? You guys on board with me? Can you do at least one thing to... To serve others this week, will, will you respond to the, the faith in action challenge? I hope you do. And I'd say start praying about how God wants to use you this week and, and beyond. So I, I want to close this morning uh, with an inspirational video about giving to others. And I think this will kind of help us get in the right mindset for the week. And And so I, I think you're going to enjoy it. And so I'd say thanks again for, for joining us today. And have a great week. God bless.
2: I had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my
0: hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the
2: bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer
0: requests and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs.
2: I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would
0: take a few years to save for it. So, a couple of months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? and she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need, and I gave her the
2: $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but uh, do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just gave what
0: I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine at Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want to use your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment, and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some. So she came to the bakery, and uh,
2: she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car, but she
0: said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott, and he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And uh, I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here?
2: I didn't have the the biggest idea. When I went out,
0: And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So I said, for me,
2: this is for me? I said, well, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So God had new
0: cars? We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face and we got to be a part of it and the joy of that was unbelievable.
2: It felt so right. It was such an excitement to drive it.
0: We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity.
2: We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. Yeah, so. This is one story I will never forget in my life.